0: File 11 of Farthest North, Volume 2. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sharon Riskedal. Farthest North by Fritjof Nansen, Volume 2, Chapter 7. Land at last, Part 1. Wednesday, July 24th. At last, the marvel has come to pass. Land, land, and after we had almost given up our belief in it after nearly two years we again see something rising above that never-ending white line on the horizon yonder a white line which for millennium after millennium has stretched over this sea and which for millenniums to come shall stretch in the same way we are leaving it and leaving no trace behind us for the track of our little caravan across the endless plains has long ago disappeared a new life is beginning for us for the ice it is ever the same it has long haunted our dreams this land and now it comes like a vision like fairyland drift white it arches above the horizon like distant clouds which one is afraid will disappear every minute the most wonderful thing is that we have seen this land all the time without knowing it I examined it several times with the telescope from Longing Camp, in the belief that it might be snowfields, but always came to the conclusion that it was only clouds, as I could never discover any dark point. Then, too, it seemed to change form, which I suppose must be attributed to the mist, which always lay over it. But it always came back again at the same place with its remarkable regular curves." I NOW REMEMBER THAT DARK CRAG WE SAW EAST OF US AT THE CAMP, AND WHICH I TOOK TO BE AN iceberg. IT MUST CERTAINLY HAVE BEEN A LITTLE ISLET OF SOME KIND. THE ICE WAS WORSE AND MORE BROKEN THAN EVER YESTERDAY. IT WAS INDEED A LABOR TO FORCE ONE'S WAY OVER PRESSURE RIDGES LIKE VERITABLE MOUNTAINS, WITH VALLEYS AND CLEFTS IN BETWEEN, BUT ON WE WENT IN GOOD SPIRITS AND MADE SOME PROGRESS. At lanes where a crossing was difficult to find, we did not hesitate to launch kayaks and sledges, and were soon over in this manner. Sometimes, after a very bad bit, we would come across some flat ice for a short distance, and over this we would go like wildfire, splashing through ponds and puddles. While I was on ahead at one time yesterday morning, Johansen went up onto a hummock to look at the ice, and remarked a curious black stripe over the horizon, BUT HE SUPPOSED IT TO BE ONLY A CLOUD, HE SAID, AND I THOUGHT NO MORE ABOUT THE MATTER. WHEN SOME WHILE LATER I ALSO ASCENDED A hummock TO LOOK AT THE ICE, I BECAME AWARE OF THE SAME BLACK STRIPE. IT RAN OBLIQUELY FROM THE HORIZON UP INTO WHAT I SUPPOSED TO BE A WHITE BANK OF CLOUDS. THE LONGER I LOOKED AT THIS BANK AND STRIPE, THE MORE UNUSUAL I THOUGHT THEM UNTIL I WAS CONSTRAINED TO FETCH THE GLASS no sooner had i fixed it on the black part than it struck me at once that this must be land and that not far off there was a large snowfield out of which black rocks projected it was not long before johansen had the glass to his eye and convinced himself that we really had land before us we both of us naturally became in the highest spirits I then saw a similar white arching outline a little farther east, but it was for the most part covered with white mist, from which it could hardly be distinguished, and, moreover, was continually changing form. It soon, however, came out entirely, and was considerably larger and higher than the former, but there was not a black speck to be seen on it. So this was what land looked like, now that we had come to it. I had imagined it in many forms, with high peaks and glittering glaciers, but never like this. There was nothing kindly about this, but it was indeed no less welcome, and on the whole we could not expect it to be otherwise than snow-covered, with all the snow which falls here. So then we pitched the tent and had a feast suited to the occasion. lobscow made of potatoes, for the last time but one, we had saved them long for this occasion, pemmican dried bears and seals flesh and bear tongues chopped up together after this was a second course consisting of bread crumbs fried in bear's grease also real food and butter and a piece of chocolate to wind up we thought this land so near that it could not possibly take long to reach it certainly not longer than till next evening johansen was even certain that we should do it the same day but nevertheless thirteen days were to elapse, occupied in the same monotonous drudgery over the drift-ice. On July 25th I write, When we stopped in the fog yesterday evening, we had a feeling that we must have come well under land. This morning, when we turned out, the first thing Johansen did when he went to fetch some water for me to cook with was, of course, to climb up on the nearest hummock and look at the land there it lay considerably nearer than before and he is quite certain that we shall reach it before night i also discovered a new land to our west south sixty degrees west magnetic that day a regular shield-like arched outline similar to the other land and it was low above the horizon and appeared to be a long way off We went on our way as fast as we could across lanes and rough ice, but did not get far in the day, and the land did not seem to be much nearer. In reality there was no difference to be seen, although we tried to imagine that it was steadily growing higher. On Saturday, July 27th, I seemed to have a suspicion that in point of fact we were drifting away from land. I write, The wind began to blow from the south-southwest magnetic just as we were getting off yesterday and increased as the day went on it was easy to perceive by the atmosphere that the wind was driving the ice off the land and land lanes formed particularly on the east side of it when i was up on a hummock yesterday evening i observed a black stripe on the horizon under land i examined it with a glass and as i had surmised there was an ice edge or glacier stretching far in a westerly direction and there was plainly a broad lane in front of it to judge by the dark bank of mist which lay there it seems to me that land cannot be far off and if the ice is tolerably passable we may reach it to-day the wind continued last night but it has quieted down now and there is sunshine outside We tried by every means in our power to get a comfortable night's rest in our new bag of blankets. We have tried lying on the bare ice, on the ski, and tonight on the bare ice again, but it must be confessed that it is hard and never will be very comfortable, a little chilly too when one is wet, but we shall appreciate a good warm bed all the more when we get it. Tuesday, July 30th We make incredibly slow progress, but we are pushing our way nearer land all the same. Every kind of hindrance seems to beset us. Now I am suffering so much from my back, lumbago, that yesterday it was only by exerting all my strength of will that I could drag myself along. In difficult places Johansen had to help me with my sledge. It began yesterday, and at the end of our march he had to go first and find the way. "'Yesterday I was much worse, and how I am to-day I do not know before I begin to walk. "'But I ought to be thankful that I can drag myself along at all, though it is with endless pain. "'We had to halt and camp on account of rain yesterday morning at three, after only having gone nine hours. "'The rain succeeded in making us wet before we had found a suitable place for the tent. "'Here we have been a whole day while it has been pouring down, and we have hardly become drier.' There are puddles under us, and the bag is soaked on the underside. The wind has gone round to the west just now, and it has stopped raining, so we made some porridge for breakfast and think of going on again. But if it should begin to rain again, we must stop, as it will not do to get wet through when we have no change of clothes. It is anything but pleasant as it is to lie with wet legs and feet that are like icicles, and not have a dry thread to put on full-grown ross's gulls were seen singly four times to-day and when johansen was out to fetch water this morning he saw two wednesday july thirty-first the ice is as disintegrated and impracticable as can well be conceived the continual friction and packing of the floes against each other grind up the ice so that the water is full of brash and small pieces to ferry over this in the kayaks is impossible and the search is long before we eventually find a hazardous crossing sometimes we have to form one by pushing small floes together or must ferry the sledges over on a little floe we spend much time and labor on each single lane and progress becomes slow in this way my back still painful johansen had to go ahead yesterday also and evening and morning he is obliged to take off my boots and socks, for I am unable to do it myself. He is touchingly unselfish, and takes care of me as if I were a child. Everything he thinks can ease me he does quietly without my knowing it. Poor fellow, he has to work doubly hard now, and does not know how this will end. I feel very much better today, however, and it is to be hoped shall soon be all right." thursday august first ice with more obstacles than here is it to be found i wonder but we are working slowly on and that being the case we ought perhaps to be satisfied we have also had a change a brilliantly fine day but it seems to me the south wind we have had which opened the lanes has put us a good way farther off land again WE HAVE ALSO DRIFTED A LONG DISTANCE TO THE EAST, AND NO LONGER SEE THE MOST WESTERLY LAND WITH THE BLACK ROCKS, WHICH WE REMARKED AT FIRST. IT WOULD SEEM AS IF THE Rossas GULLS KEEP TO LAND HERE. WE SEE THEM DAILY. ONE THING, HOWEVER, I AM REJOICING OVER, MY BACK IS ALMOST WELL, SO THAT I SHALL NOT DELAY OUR PROGRESS ANY MORE. I HAVE SOME IDEA NOW WHAT IT WOULD BE LIKE IF ONE OF US BECAME SERIOUSLY ILL. OUR FATE WOULD THEN BE SEALED, I THINK. Friday, August second. It seems as if everything conspired to delay us and that we shall never get away from this drift ice. My back is well again now. The ice was more passable yesterday than before, so that we nearly made a good day's march. But in return, wind and current set us from shore and we are farther away again. Against these two enemies, all fighting is in vain, I am afraid. We have drifted far off to the southeast. Have got to the north point of the land about due west of us and we are now in about 81 degrees 36 minutes north my only hope now is that this drift eastward away from land may stop or alter its course and thus bring us nearer land it is unfortunate that the lanes are covered with young ice which it would be disastrous to put the kayaks through if this gets worse things will look very bad MEANWHILE WE HAVE NOTHING TO DO BUT GO ON AS FAST AS WE CAN. IF WE ARE GOING TO DRIFT BACK INTO THE ICE AGAIN, THEN... THEN... SATURDAY, AUGUST third, INCONCEIVABLE TOIL. WE COULD NEVER GO ON WITH IT, WERE IT NOT FOR THE FACT THAT WE MUST. WE HAVE MADE WRETCHEDLY LITTLE PROGRESS, EVEN IF WE HAVE MADE ANY AT ALL. We have had no food for the dogs the last few days except the ivory gulls and fulmers we have been able to shoot, and that has been a couple a day. Yesterday the dogs only had a little bit of blubber each. Sunday, August 4th. These lanes are desperate work and tax one's strength. We often have to go several hundred yards on mere brash or from block to block, dragging the sledges after us and in constant fear of their capsizing into the water johansen was very nearly in yesterday but as always hitherto he managed to save himself the dogs fall in and get a bath continually monday august fifth we have never had worse ice than yesterday but we managed to force our way on a little nevertheless and two happy incidents marked the day the first was that johansen was not eaten up by a bear and the second that we saw open water under the glacier edge ashore We set off about seven o'clock yesterday morning and got onto ice as bad as it could be. It was as if some giant had hurled down enormous blocks pell-mell and had strewn wet snow in between them with water underneath, and into this we sank above our knees. There were also numbers of deep pools in between the blocks it was like toiling over hill and dale up and down over block after block and ridge after ridge with deep clefts in between not a clear space big enough to pitch a tent on even and thus it went on the whole time to put a coping stone to our misery there was such a mist that we could not see a hundred yards in front of us after an exhausting march we at last reached a lane where we had to ferry over in the kayaks after having cleared the side of the lane from young ice and brash i drew my sledge to the end of the ice and was holding it to prevent it slipping in when i heard a scuffle behind me and johansen who had just turned round to pull his sledge flush with mine cried take the gun i turned round and saw an enormous bear throwing itself on him and johansen on his back i tried to seize my gun which was in its case on the foredeck but at the same moment the kayak slipped into the water. My first thought was to throw myself into the water over the kayak and fire from there, but I recognized how risky it would be. I began to pull the kayak with its heavy cargo onto the high edge of the ice again as quickly as I could and was on my knees pulling and tugging to get at my gun. I had no time to look round and see what was going on behind me when I heard Johansen quietly say, you must look sharp if you want to be in time. Look sharp? I should think so. At last I got hold of the butt-end, dragged the gun out, turned round in a sitting posture, and cocked the shot barrel. The bear was standing not two yards off, ready to make an end to my dog Kyphos. There was no time to lose in cocking the other barrel, so I gave it a charge of shot behind the ear, and it fell down dead between us. The bear must have followed our track like a cat, and covered by the ice-blocks, have slunk up while we were clearing the ice from the lane and had our backs to him. We could see by the trail how it had crept over a small ridge just behind us, under cover of a mound by Johansen's kayak, while the latter, without suspecting anything or looking round, went back and stooped down to pick up the hauling-rope. HE SUDDENLY CAUGHT SIGHT OF AN ANIMAL CROUCHED UP AT THE END OF THE KAYAK, BUT THOUGHT IT WAS SUGGIN, AND BEFORE HE HAD TIME TO REALIZE THAT IT WAS SO BIG, HE RECEIVED A CUFF ON THE EAR WHICH MADE HIM SEE FIREWORKS, AND THEN, AS I MENTIONED BEFORE, OVER HE WENT ON HIS BACK. HE TRIED TO DEFEND HIMSELF AS BEST HE COULD WITH HIS FISTS. WITH ONE HAND HE SEIZED THE THROAT OF THE ANIMAL AND HELD FAST, clinching IT WITH ALL HIS MIGHT. "'It was just as the bear was about to bite Johansen in the head "'that he uttered their memorable words, "'Look sharp.' "'The bear kept glancing at me continually, "'speculating, no doubt, as to what I was going to do, "'but then caught sight of the dog and turned towards it. "'Johansen let go as quick as thought and wriggled himself away, "'while the bear gave Suggan a cuff which made him howl lustily, "'just as he does when we thrash him. "'Then Kaifas got a slap on the nose.' meanwhile johansen had struggled to his legs and when i fired had got his gun which was sticking out of the kayak hole the only harm done was that the bear had scraped some grime off johansen's right cheek so that he has a white stripe on it and had given him a slight wound in one hand caiaphas had also got a scratch on his nose hardly had the bear fallen before we saw two more peeping over a hummock a little way off "'Cubs, who naturally wanted to see the result of the maternal chase. "'They were two large cubs. "'I thought it was not worth while to sacrifice a cartridge on them, "'but Johansen expressed his opinion "'that young bear's flesh was much more delicate in flavor than old. "'He would only shoot one,' he said, and started off. "'However, the cubs took to their heels, "'although they came back a little while later, "'and we could hear them at a long distance growling after their mother.' Johansen sent one of them a ball, but the range was too long, and he only wounded it. With some terrific growls it started off again, and Johansen after it, but he gave up the chase soon, as he saw it promised to be a long one. While we were cutting up the she-bear, the cubs came back on the other side of the lane, and the whole time we were there we had them walking round us when we had fed the dogs well, and had eaten some of the raw meat ourselves, and had furthermore stowed away in the kayaks the meat we had cut off the legs, we at last ferried over the lane and went on our way. The ice was not good, and to make bad worse, we immediately came on some terrible lanes full of nothing but tightly packed lumps of ice. In some places there were whole seas of it, and it was enough to make one despair. Among all this loose ice we came on an unusually thick old floe with high mounds on it and pools in between. It was from one of those mounds that I observed through the glass the open water at the foot of the glacier, and now we cannot have far to go. But the ice looks very bad on ahead, and each piece, when it is like this, may take a long time to travel over. As we went along we heard the wounded bear, lowing ceaselessly behind us, It filled the whole of this silent world of ice with its bitter plaint over the cruelty of man. It was miserable to hear it, and if we had had time we should undoubtedly have gone back and sacrificed a cartridge on it. We saw the cubs go off to the place where the mother was lying, and thought to ourselves that we had got rid of them, but heard them soon afterwards, and even when we had camped they were not far off. Wednesday, August 7th at last we are under land at last the drift-ice lies behind us and before us is open water open it is to be hoped to the end yesterday was the day when we came out of the tent the evening of the day before yesterday we both thought we must be nearer the edge of the glacier than ever and with fresh courage and in the faint hope of reaching land that day we started on our journey yet we dared not think our life on the drift-ice was so nearly at an end after wandering about on it for five months and suffering so many disappointments, we were only too well prepared for a new defeat. We thought, however, that the ice looked more promising farther on, though before we had gone far we came to broad lanes full of slush and foul, uneven ice, with hills and dales and deep snow and water, into which we sank up to our thighs." After a couple of lanes of this kind, matters improved a little, and we got on to some flat ice. After having gone over this for a while, it became apparent how much nearer we were to the edge of the glacier. It could not possibly be far off now. We eagerly harnessed ourselves to the sledges again, put on a spurt, and away we went through snow and water over mounds and ridges. We went as hard as we could, and what did we care if we sank into water till far above our fur leggings, so that both they and our komager filled and gurgled like a pump. What did it matter to us now, so long as we got on? We soon reached plains, and over them we went quicker and quicker. We waded through ponds where the spray flew up on all sides. "'nearer and nearer we came, and by the dark water-sky before us, which continually rose higher, we could see how we were drawing near to open water. We did not even notice bears now. There seemed to be plenty about, tracks both old and new, crossing and recrossing. One had even inspected the tent while we were asleep, and by the fresh trail we could see how it had come downwind in lee of us. We had no use for a bear now, we had food enough.' We were soon able to see the open water under the wall of the glacier, and our steps lengthened even more. As I was striding along, I thought of the march of the Ten Thousand through Asia, when Xenophon's soldiers, after a year's war against superior forces, at last saw the sea from a mountain and cried, Thalata, Thalata. Maybe this sea was just as welcome to us after our months in the endless white drift-ice. At last, at last, I stood by the edge of the ice. Before me lay the dark surface of the sea, with floating white floes. Far away the glacier wall rose abruptly from the water. Over the whole lay a somber, foggy light. Joy welled up in our hearts at this sight, and we could not give it expression in words. Behind us lay all our troubles, before us the waterway home. I waved my hat to Johansen, who was a little way behind, and he waved his in answer and shouted, "'Hurrah!' Such an event had to be celebrated in some way, and we did it by having a piece of chocolate each. While we were standing there looking at the water, the large head of a seal came up and then disappeared silently, but soon more appeared. It is very reassuring to know that we can procure food at any minute we like." now came the rigging of the kayaks for the voyage of course the better way would have been to paddle singly but with the long big sledges on the deck this was not easy and leave them behind i dared not we might have good use for them yet for the time being therefore there was nothing else to be done but to lash the two kayaks together side by side in our usual manner Stiffen them out with the snow-shoes under the straps and place the sledges athwart them one before and one behind it was sad to think we could not take our two last dogs with us but we should probably have no further use for them and it would not have done to take them with us on the decks of our kayaks we were sorry to part with them we had become very fond of these two survivors faithful and enduring they had followed us the whole journey through and now that better times had come, they must say farewell to life. Destroy them in the same way as the others, we could not. We sacrificed a cartridge on each of them. I shot Johansen's, and he shot mine. So then we were ready to set off. It was a real pleasure to let the kayaks dance over the water and hear the little waves plashing against the sides. For two years we had not seen such a surface of water before us. We had not gone far before we found that the wind was so good that we ought to make use of it, and so we rigged up a sail on our fleet. We glided easily before the wind in towards the land we had so longed for all these many months. What a change, after having forced one's way inch by inch and foot by foot on ice! The mist had hidden the land from us for a while, but now it parted, and we saw the glacier rising straight in front of us. At the same moment the sun burst forth and a more beautiful morning i can hardly remember we were soon underneath the glacier and had to lower our sail and paddle westward along the wall of ice which was from fifty to sixty feet in height and on which a landing was impossible it seemed as if there must be a little movement in this glacier The water had eaten its way deep underneath it at the foot, and there was no noise of falling fragments or the cracking of crevasses to be heard, as there generally is with large glaciers. It was also quite even on the top, and no crevasses were to be seen. Up the entire height of the wall there was stratification, which was unusually marked. We soon discovered that a tidal current was running westward along the wall of the glacier with great rapidity, and took advantage of it to make good progress. To find a camping-ground, however, was not easy, and at last we were reduced to taking up our abode on a drifting floe. It was glorious, though, to go to rest in the certainty that we should not wake to drudgery in the drift-ice." When we turned out to-day, we found that the ice had packed around us, and I do not know yet how we shall get out of it, though there is open water not far off to our west. Thursday, August eighth, After hauling our impedimenta over some floes, we got into open water yesterday without much difficulty. When we had reached the edge of the water, we made a paddle each from our snowshoe-staffs, to which we bound blades made of broken-off snowshoes. They were a great improvement on the somewhat clumsy paddles with canvas blades lashed to bamboo sticks. I was very much inclined to chop off our sledges so that they would only be half as long as before. By doing so we could carry them on the after-deck of the kayaks, and could thus each paddle alone, and our advance would be much quicker than by paddling the twin kayaks. However, I thought perhaps it was unadvisable. The water looked promising enough on ahead, but there was mist, and we could not see far. We knew nothing of the country or the coast we had come to, and might yet have good use for the sledges. We therefore set off in our double kayak as before, with the sledges athwart the deck fore and aft. The mist soon rose a little. It was then a dead calm. The surface of the water lay like a great mirror before us, with bits of ice and an occasional floe drifting on it. It was a marvelously beautiful sight, and it was indeed glorious to sit there in our light vessels and glide over the surface without any exertion. Suddenly a seal rose in front of us, and over us flew continually ivory gulls and fulmers and kittiwakes, little auk's we also saw, and some ross's gulls and a couple of terns. There was no want of animal life here, nor of food when we should require it we found open water broader and broader as we paddled on our way beside the wall of ice but it would not clear so that we could see something of our surroundings the mist still hung obstinately over it our course at first lay west to north magnetic but the land always trended more and more to the west and southwest the expanse of water grew greater and soon it widened out to a large sea stretching in a southwesterly direction A breeze sprang up from the north-northeast, and there was considerable motion, which was not pleasant, as in our double craft the seas continually washed up between the two and wetted us. We put in towards evening and pitched the tent on the shore ice, and just as we did so it began to rain, so that it was high time to be under a roof. Friday, August 9th. Yesterday morning we had again to drag the sledges with the kayaks over some ice which had drifted in front of our camping ground, and during this operation I managed to fall into the water and get wet. It was with difficulty we finally got through and out into open water. After a while we again found our way closed and were obliged to take to hauling over some floes, but after this we had good open water the whole day. It was a north-easterly wind which had set the ice towards the land, and it was lucky we had got so far, as behind us, to judge by the atmosphere, the sea was much blocked. The mist hung over the land, so that we saw little of it. According as we advanced we were able to hold a more southerly course, and, the wind being nearly on the quarter, we set sail about one o'clock and continued sailing all day, till we stopped yesterday evening. Our sail, however, was interrupted once when it was necessary to paddle round an ice-point north of where we are now. The contrary current was so strong that it was as much as we could do to make way against it, and it was only after considerable exertion that we succeeded in doubling the point. We have seen little of the land we are skirting up to this on account of the mist, but as far as I can make out, it consists of islands." First there was a large island covered with an ice sheet, then west of it a smaller one, on which are the two crags of rock which first made us aware of the vicinity of land. Next came a long fiord or sound, with massive shore ice in it, and then a small low headland, or rather an island, south of which we are now encamped. This shore ice lying along the land is very remarkable. It is unusually massive and uneven. It seems to be composed of huge blocks welded together, which in a great measure at any rate must proceed from the ice-sheet. There has also perhaps been violent pressure against the land, which has heaved the sea-ice up together with pieces of ice from the calving of the glacier, and the whole has frozen together into a conglomerate mass. A medium-sized iceberg lay off the headland north of us where the current was so strong where we are now lying however there is flat fjord ice between the low island here and a larger one farther south this land grows more of a problem and i am more than ever at a loss to know where we are it is very remarkable to me that the coast continually trends to the south instead of to the west i could explain it all best by supposing ourselves to be on the west coast of the archipelago of franz josef land were it not that the variation i think is too great and also for the number of Ross's gulls there still are not one has with certainty been seen in spitzbergen and if my supposition is right this should not be far off yesterday we saw a number of them again they are quite as common here as the other species of gull saturday august tenth we went up on to the little islet we had camped by It was covered by a glacier, which curved over it in the shape of a shield. There were slopes to all sides, but so slight was the gradient that our snowshoes would not even run of themselves on the crust of snow. From the ridge we had a fair view, and as the mist lifted just then we saw the land about us tolerably well. We now perceived plainly that what we had been skirting along was only islands, the first one was the biggest." THE OTHER LAND, WITH THE TWO ROCKY CRAGS, HAD, AS WE COULD SEE, A STRIP OF BARE LAND ALONG THE SHORE ON THE NORTHWEST SIDE. WAS IT THERE, PERHAPS, THE Rossas' gulls CONGREGATED AND HAD THEIR BREEDING-GROUNDS? THE ISLAND TO OUR SOUTH ALSO LOOKED LARGE. IT APPEARED TO BE ENTIRELY COVERED BY A GLACIER. BETWEEN THE ISLANDS AND AS FAR AS WE COULD PERCEIVE SOUTHEAST AND EAST, THE SEA WAS COVERED BY PERFECTLY FLAT fjord ICE, BUT NO LAND WAS TO BE DISCERNED IN THAT DIRECTION there were no icebergs here though we saw some later in the day on the south side of the island lying to the south of us the glacier covering the little island on which we stood joined the fjord ice almost imperceptibly only a few small fissures along the shore indicated where it probably began There could not be any great rise and fall in the ice here, consequent on the tide, as the fissures would then, as a matter of course, have been considerably larger. This seemed remarkable, as the tidal current ran swift as a river here. On the west side of the island there lay in front of the glacier a rampart of ice and snow, which was probably formed of pieces of glacier ice and sea ice welded together. It had the same character as the massive shore ice which we had seen previously running along the land. This rampart went over imperceptibly, with an even slope into the glacier within it. About three in the afternoon we finally set off in open water, and sailed till eight or so in the evening. The water was then closed, and we were compelled to haul the fleet over flat ice to open water on the other side. But here, too, our progress seemed blocked, and as the current was against us, we pitched the tent. On August 10th we were compelled partly to haul our sledges over the ice, partly to row in open water in a southwesterly direction. When we reached navigable waters, again we passed a flock of walruses lying on a floe. It was a pleasure to see so much food collected at one spot, but we did not take any notice of them, as for the time being we have meat and blubber enough after dinner we managed in the mist to wander down a long bay into the shore ice where there was no outlet we had to turn back and this delayed us considerably we now kept a more westerly course following the often massive and uneven edge of the ice but the current was dead against us and in addition young ice had been forming all day as we rode along THE WEATHER HAD BEEN COLD AND STILL WITH FALLING SNOW, AND THIS BEGAN TO BE SO THICK THAT WE COULD NOT MAKE WAY AGAINST IT ANY LONGER. WE, THEREFORE, WENT ASHORE ON THE ICE AND HAULED UNTIL TEN IN THE EVENING. BEAR TRACKS OLD AND NEW IN ALL DIRECTIONS, BOTH THE SINGLE ONES OF OLD BACHELORS AND THOSE OF SHE-BEARS WITH CUBS. IT LOOKS AS IF THEY HAD HAD A GENERAL rendezvous, OR AS IF A FLOCK OF THEM HAD ROAMED BACKWARD AND FORWARD. I have never seen so many bear tracks in one place in my life we have certainly done fourteen or twenty-five miles to-day but still i think our progress is too slow if we are to reach spitzbergen this year and i am always wondering if we ought not to cut the ends off our sledges so that each can paddle his own kayak this young ice however which grows steadily worse and the eleven degrees below freezing we now have make me hold my hand perhaps winter is upon us and then the sledges may be very necessary it is a curious sensation to paddle in the mist as we are doing without being able to see a mile in front of us the land we found we have left behind us we are always in hopes of clear weather in order to see where the land lies in front of us for land there must be this flat unbroken ice must be attached to land of some kind but clear weather we are not to have it appears mist without ceasing we must push on as it is after having hauled some distance farther over the ice we came to open water again the following day august eleventh and paddled for four or five hours while i was on a hummock inspecting the waters ahead a huge monster of a walrus came up quite near us it lay puffing and glaring at us on the surface of the water but we took no notice of it got into our kayaks and went on suddenly it came up again by the side of us raised itself high out of the water snorted so that the air shook and threatened to thrust its tusks into our frail craft We seized our guns, but at the same moment it disappeared and came up immediately afterwards on the other side, by Johansson's kayak, where it repeated the same maneuver. I said to him that if the animal showed signs of attacking us, we must spend a cartridge on it. It came up several times and disappeared again. We could see it down in the water, passing rapidly on its side under our vessels, and afraid lest it should make a hole in the bottom with its tusks, We thrust our paddles down into the water and frightened it away, but suddenly it came up again right by Johansen's kayak, and more savage than ever. He sent it a charge straight in the eyes. It uttered a terrific bellow, rolled over and disappeared, leaving a trail of blood on the water behind it. We paddled on as hard as we could, knowing that the shot might have dangerous consequences but we were relieved when we heard the walrus come up far behind us at the place where it had disappeared. We had paddled quietly on and had long forgotten all about the walrus when I suddenly saw Johansen jump into the air and felt his kayak receive a violent shock. I had no idea what it was and looked round to see if some block of floating ice had capsized and struck the bottom of his kayak but suddenly I saw another walrus rise up in the water beside us. I seized my gun, and as the animal would not turn its head so that I could aim at a spot behind the ear, where it is more easily wounded, I was constrained to put a ball in the middle of its forehead. There was no time to be lost. Happily this was enough, and it lay there dead and floating on the water." with great difficulty we managed to make a hole in the thick skin and after cutting ourselves some strips of blubber and meat from the back we went on our way again at seven in the evening the tidal current turned and the channel closed there was no more water to be found instead of taking to hauling over the ice We determined to wait for the opening of the channel when the tide should turn next day, and meanwhile to cut off the ends of our sledges, as I had so long been thinking of doing, and make ourselves some good double paddles, so that we could put on greater pace and, in our single kayaks, make the most of the channel during the time it was open. While we were occupied in doing this, the mist cleared off at last, and there lay land, stretched out in front of us, extending a long way south and west from southeast right up to north-northwest. It appeared to be a chain of islands with sounds between them. They were chiefly covered with glaciers, only here and there were perpendicular black mountain walls to be seen. It was a sight to make one rejoice to see so much land at one time. But— where were we? This seemed a more difficult question to answer than ever. Could we, after all, have arrived at the east side of Franz Josef Land? It seemed very reasonable to suppose this to be the case, but then we must be very far east, and must expect a long voyage before we could reach Cape Fligely on Crown Prince Rudolf Land. Meanwhile we worked hard to get the sledges ready but as the mist gradually lifted and it became clearer and clearer, we could not help, continually leaving them, to climb up onto the hummock beside us to look at the country and speculate on this insoluble problem. We did not get to bed till seven in the morning of August 12th. Tuesday, August 13th After having slept a few hours, we turned out of the bag again, for the current had turned and there was a wide channel in our single kayaks we made good headway but after going about five miles the channel closed and we had to clamber on to the ice we thought it advisable to wait until the tidal current turned and see if there were not a channel running farther if not, we must lash proper grips of wood to our curtailed sledges, and commence hauling towards a sound running through the land, which I see about west-northwest true, and which, according to Payer's chart, I take to be Rawlinson's sound. But the crack did not open, and when it came to the point we had to continue on our way hauling. Wednesday, August 14th We dragged our sledges and loads over a number of floes and ferried across lanes, arriving finally at a lane which ran westward in which we could paddle, but it soon packed together again and we were stopped. The ivory gulls are very bold and last night stole a piece of blubber lying close by the tent wall. The following day we had to make our way as well as we could by paddling short distances in the lanes, or hauling our loads over flows smaller or larger, as the case might be. The current, which was running like a mill-race, ground them together in its career. Our progress with our short, stumpy sledges was nothing very great, and of water suitable for paddling in we found less and less. We stopped several times and waited for the ice to open at the turn of the tide, but it did not do so, and on the morning of August 15th we gave it up, turned inward, and took to the shore ice for good. We set our course westward towards the sound we had seen for several days now, and had struggled so to reach. The surface of the ice was tolerably even, and we got over the ground well. On the way we passed a frozen-in iceberg, which was the highest we saw in these parts, some fifty to sixty feet, I should say. I wished to go up it to get a better view of our environment, but it was too steep, and we did not get higher than a third part up the side. In the evening we at last reached the islands we had been steering for for the last few days, and for the first time in two years had bare land underfoot. The delight of the feeling of being able to jump from block to block of granite is indescribable, and the delight was not lessened when, in a little sheltered corner among the stones, we found moss and flowers beautiful poppies, papavar nudicale, saxifraga nivalis, and Astelleria. It goes without saying that the Norwegian flag had to wave over this our first bare land, and a banquet was prepared. Our petroleum, meanwhile, had given out several days previously, and we had to contrive another lamp in which train oil could be used. The smoking-hot lobscow, made of pemmican, and the last of our potatoes was delicious, and we sat inside the tent and kicked the bare grit under us to our heart's content. Where we are is becoming more and more incomprehensible. There appears to be a broad sound west of us, but what is it? the island we are now on and where we have slept splendidly this is written on the morning of august sixteenth on dry land with no melting of the ice in puddles underneath us is a long moraine like ridge running about north and south magnetic and consists almost exclusively of small and large generally very large blocks of stone with i should say occasional stationary crags the blocks are, in a measure rounded off, but I have found no striation on them. The whole island barely rises above the snowfield in which it lies, and which slopes in a gradual decline down to the surrounding ice on our west. There is a bare island somewhat higher, which we have seen for several days along the shore. There is a decided strand line terrace, north of us are two small islets and a small rock or scary. As I mentioned before, August 13th, I had at first supposed the sound on our west to be Rawlinson Sound, but this now appeared impossible, as there was nothing to be seen of Dove Glacier, by which it is bounded on one side. If this was now our position, we must have traversed the glacier and Vilcek Land without noticing any trace of either, for we had travelled westward a good half-degree south of Cape Budapest. The possibility that we could be in this region we consequently now held to be finally excluded. We must have come to a new land in the western part of Franz Josef land or archipelago, and so far west that we had seen nothing of the countries discovered by Payer, but so far west that we had not even seen anything of Oscar's land which ought to be situated in 82 degrees north and 52 degrees east. This was indeed incomprehensible, but was there any other explanation? Saturday, August 17th. Yesterday was a good day. We are in open water on the west coast of Franz Josef Land as far as I can make out, and may again hope to get home this year. About noon yesterday we walked across the ice from our moraine islet to the higher island west of us. As I was ready before Johansen, I went on first to examine the island a little as he was following me he caught sight of a bear on the level ice to leeward it came jogging up against the wind straight towards him he had his gun ready but when a little nearer the bear stopped reconsidered the situation suddenly turned tail and was soon out of sight this island we came to seemed to me to be one of the most lovely spots on the face of the earth a beautiful flat beach an old strand line with shells strewn about A narrow belt of clear water along the shore, where snails and sea-urchins, Achenus, were visible at the bottom, and amphipoda were swimming about. In the cliffs overhead were hundreds of screaming little ox, and beside us the snow-buntings fluttered from stone to stone with their cheerful twitter. Suddenly the sun burst forth through the light fleecy clouds, and the day seemed to be all sunshine here were life and bare land we were no longer on the eternal drift ice at the bottom of the sea just beyond the beach i could see whole forests of seaweed luminaria and fucus under the cliffs here and there were drifts of beautiful rose-colored snow on the north side of the island we found the breeding place of numbers of black-backed gulls they were sitting with their young in ledges of the cliffs of course we had to climb up and secure a photograph of this unusual scene of family life, and as we stood there high up on the cliffside we could see the drift-ice whence we had come. It lay beneath us like a white plain and disappeared far away on the horizon. Beyond this it was we had journeyed, and farther away still the Fram and our comrades were drifting yet. I had thought of going to the top of this island to get a better view and perhaps come nearer solving the problem of our whereabouts, but when we were on the west side of it the mist came back and settled on the top. We had to content ourselves with only going a little way up the slope to look at our future course westward. Some way out we saw open water. It looked like the sea itself, but before one could get to it there was a good deal of ice. We came down again and started off. Along the land there was a channel running some distance farther, and we tried it, but it was covered everywhere with a thin layer of new ice, which we did not dare to break through in our kayaks and risk cutting a hole in them. So finally, a little way farther south, we put in to drag up the kayaks and take to the ice again. While we were doing this, one huge bearded seal after another stuck its head up by the side of the ice and gazed wonderingly at us with its great eyes. Then, with a violent header, and splashing the water in all directions, it would disappear, to come up again soon afterwards on the other side. They kept playing around us, blowing, diving, reappearing, and throwing themselves over, so that the water foamed round them. It would have been easy enough to capture one, had we required it. At last, after a good deal of exertion, we stood at the margin of the ice. The blue expanse of water lay before us as far as the eye could reach, AND WE THOUGHT THAT FOR THE FUTURE WE HAD TO DO WITH IT ALONE. TO THE NORTH THERE WAS LAND, THE STEEP BLACK BASALT CLIFFS OF WHICH FELL PERPENDICULARLY INTO THE SEA. WE SAW HEADLAND AFTER HEADLAND STANDING OUT NORTHWARD, AND FARTHEST OFF OF ALL WE COULD descry A BLUISH GLACIER. THE INTERIOR WAS EVERYWHERE COVERED WITH AN ICE-SHEET. BELOW THE CLOUDS AND OVER THE LAND WAS A STRIP OF RUDDY NIGHT SKY WHICH WAS REFLECTED IN THE MELANCHOLY ROCKING SEA so we paddled on along the side of the glacier which covered the whole country south of us we became more and more excited as we approached the headland to the west would the coast trend south here and was there no more land westward it was this we expected to decide our fate decide whether we should reach home that year or be compelled to winter somewhere on land nearer and nearer we came to it along the edge of the perpendicular wall of ice At last we reached the headland and our hearts bounded with joy to see so much water only water westward and the coast trending southwest we also saw a bare mountain projecting from the ice sheet a little way farther on it was a curious high ridge as sharp as a knife blade it was as steep and sharp as anything i have seen it was all of dark columnar basalt and so jagged and peaked that it looked like a comb in the middle of the mountain there was a gap or couloir and there we crept up to inspect the seaway southward the wall of rock was anything but broad there and fell away on the south side in a perpendicular drop of several hundred feet a cutting wind was blowing in the couloir while we were lying there i suddenly heard a noise behind me and on looking around i saw two foxes fighting over a little auk which they had just caught They clawed and tugged and bit as hard as they could on the very edge of the chasm. Then they suddenly caught sight of us not twenty feet away from them. They stopped fighting, looked up wonderingly, and began to run around and peep at us, first from one side, then from the other. Over us myriads of little ox flew backward and forward, screaming shrilly from the ledges in the mountainside. So far as we could make out, there appeared to be open sea along the land to the westward. The wind was favorable, and although we were tired, we decided to take advantage of the opportunity, have something to eat, rig up mast and sail on our canoes, and get afloat. We sailed till the morning, when the wind went down, and then we landed on the shore ice again, and camped. I am as happy as a child, in the thought that we are now at last, really, on the west coast of Franz Josef Land, with open water before us, and independent of ice and currents. End of file 11.